morning, church. You can go ahead and open up your Bibles this morning to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3 together this morning. I'll go ahead and read the text for us and we can jump right in. And it says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Now I want to begin our short time together this morning with a question. But first, I want to prime our imaginations. I want you to imagine with me this scenario. You're sitting somewhere. Right? Maybe it's school. Maybe it's work. It can be wherever. And as you're sitting there, one of your friends or coworkers comes up to you and they say, Hey, I know that you're a Christian and all, and I keep hearing Christians talk about how they're called to love God and to love neighbors. I'm curious, could you tell me what that looks like? Now, if you were in this scenario, what would your answer be? How would you answer that question? Recently, I did a little survey asking this question to folks on my Facebook, and, and here's some of the answers that I received. The first answer was this, spend time with God by building relationship. Begin to think and act as God would. WWJD, or what would Jesus do? As for my neighbors, looking beyond the flesh of my neighbor and seeing the image of God and meeting the needs around me. The second answer I got is meet physical and emotional needs as much as possible before presenting the gospel. It's the same model that Jesus used, and it rightly allows our evangelistic targets to feel as though we care about them before uh, beyond adding a number to our roles. The gospel is of the utmost importance, but relationships matter. The third answer that I received was this. For God, or for loving God, it would be participating in worship and the means of grace. For loving neighbor, I think that that could have numerous manifestations, whether it be caring for orphans or widows, standing up for the oppressed, not slandering people, etc. Now, I don't want anyone to think that I'm poking fun at the folks who commented or, or anything like that. I'm certainly not. I think there definitely are some good things here to be sure. But there's also a gigantic problem, and I hope that you see it too, and it's, that's this. We don't actually have a definitive answer to the question, do we? I mean, do you see how different these answers are? I mean, I guess it really depends on who you ask about what it looks like to love, love God and to love neighbor. And you can see how quickly this can become problematic, right? Especially in a world like ours that has darkness descending upon it like a thick fog over a forest. In a chaotic world, you better have rock-solid answers. And that's what we're seeking to do with this sermon series, to give answers. Because contrary to popular belief, beloved... This is an easy question to answer. It's one that every Christian should know and should be unified on. Because in God's word, there are ten clear answers to these questions. And they're found in the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments tell us how to love God. And the last six tell us how to love our neighbors. So with that in mind this morning, we're going to be looking together at the first way that we can love God. And that's by keeping the first commandment, which is have no other gods. Now, as we begin this morning, I want to take a moment to set up the context for us in which the commandment was given. 
So if you recall the Bible story thus far from Genesis to Exodus, one of the main issues that we see recurring over and over again is the problem of idolatry, worshiping gods other than Yahweh. Right In the garden, Adam and Eve fall by listening to a rogue member of Yahweh's divine counsel, a seraphim or a serpent, which we learn later is named Satan, and they elevate him to their god. In Noah's day, the daughters of men intermingled with and began serving the fallen angelic sons of God as though they were God. After the events of the flood, Noah's son Ham would have the sons named Egypt and Canaan, who would be given over to the same exact sins of previous generations. In the Tower of Babel, these two nations were nations that would be scattered and would eventually begin worshiping fallen angels as well, according to Deuteronomy 32 and Psalm 82. Towards the end of Genesis and at the beginning of Exodus, Israel, because of Joseph's influence, would end up in Egypt and they would begin to quickly multiply there. And we know that there would eventually be a Pharaoh who would arise after the death of Joseph, who did not know him, and who would enslave and oppress the people of Israel. And as we read through Exodus, we learn that Israel would lose its distinctiveness. It would bow down to and serve Egypt, and some would even go as far to worship her pantheon of gods, which were the fallen angels in the Babel event. This is the story thus far. And you can see now why this would be the very first thing that God tells his people about what it looks like to follow him and to love him, right? At this point in the story in Exodus, God has, in his grace, redeemed Israel from their slavery. In the plagues, he has executed judgments against the gods of Egypt. He has saved them from the hand of Pharaoh. He just baptized them in the waters of the Red Sea. Now he's about to invite them to the Lord's table by giving them manna from heaven while they trek through the wilderness into the land of Canaan. But first, he's going to preach his word to them in the Ten Commandments at the foot of Mount Sinai. Now, the first thing that we see here in this commandment is this. God's people are to have and are to worship no other gods except for Yahweh. That means we're not to worship the gods of the surrounding nations or the angels of Yahweh's divine counsel or any other created thing in all of creation. This also means that contrary to what other world religions may say, we do not all worship the same God. Yahweh alone is God, and the rest are pretenders like children strutting around in costumes during Halloween. The Baptist and Westminster Catechisms, together in unity, say it this way, The first commandment requires us to know and to recognize God as the only true God and our God, and to worship and to glorify Him accordingly. And the first commandment forbids denying or not worshiping and glorifying Him as the true God and our God. It also forbids giving worship and glory, which He alone deserves, to anyone or anything else. Now, with that in mind this morning, let me ask you this. Do you have any other gods in your life that you are worshiping other than Yahweh? Are there things that you're giving worship and glory to which he alone deserves? You see, we still have various gods vying for our attention and our allegiance today. Only today they look less like Horus or Baal 
Rather, they look more like selfishness, right? Making a God out of ourselves. They look like unhealthy relationships, dependency upon others, and people-pleasing, right? Making a God out of others. And it looks like eight to ten hours a day on your smart device, right? Looking at social media more than you look at Christ. You see, all of these things tempt us to look to places other than God for joy. And they bid us to bow our knees there. And this isn't the only way that we have idols vying for our attention and our allegiance today. Just this week, I saw proponents of the social justice movement demanding that Caucasian people bow the knee and repent of their whiteness and their so-called white privilege and white guilt. Right? I'm sure that you saw that in the news this week. Such things are idolatry, beloved, driven by competing gods, the pantheon of sin, the flesh, and the devil. And regardless of how good the world tells us that these things are and how much we need them as followers of Yahweh, we must refuse to bow the knee because that's actually what it looks like to follow Yahweh and to love him. Right? This is how we apply the first commandment. We bow the knee to none other than him and we look to him alone for joy and satisfaction and we recognize the gifts that he's given to us and we remain vigilant to keep them in their proper place. So in our battle against the forces of darkness, where is it this morning that we should look to for help and for guidance? Where is it that we should look to for cleansing, for violating this command? Right? Because if we're all honest, each and every single one of us have violated this command at some point in our lives. We'll simply put, beloved... We must look unto Jesus Christ. Amen. You see, cleansing from idolatry and divine help are found only in His substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins. And not only is cleansing found there, but by looking to Him, that's where we also learn what it looks like to love God perfectly and what it looks like to have no other gods. Right, I want to tell you a story from Jesus' life. You can find it in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. So in the story, Jesus is portrayed as the new Israel. You guys all know the story that I'm talking about, and I want to call it to your mind and your imagination. So Jesus is baptized, right? He parts the waters in his baptism, just as Israel parted the waters of the Red Sea as they were passing through it. And immediately after his baptism, he goes out into the wilderness to a mountain, just like Israel did at Sinai. And there, he is tempted by the devil to bow the knee, just like Israel was when they had fashioned a golden calf. The devil offered him everything that the, the flesh could possibly desire. He offered him kingdoms, power, and glory. However, I want you to call to mind, what was Jesus' response? His response is basically a summary of the first commandment. He says to the devil, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then rather than giving in, he stands in his commitment, firm to Yahweh. And beloved, if you ever wanted someone to follow and to imitate in keeping the first commandment, Jesus is it. Amen? Right? He is the hero. Now, as we come to a close, you may say, I want that, 
but I know that I'm not strong enough to live such a life. I'm given over to idols, and I've never been able to successfully break with them. And if that's you, let me say this. You're right. You are not strong enough to live such a life. And the truth is, is that none of us are. And as long as you continue to fight in your own strength, your idols will continue to hold sway over you. But the good news is this. You don't have to continue worshiping the idols that have had power over you. You don't have to remain a slave. You see, when you place your faith in the sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you are no longer fighting with your strength. You see, when, when you, you trust in Jesus, something mysterious and supernatural happens. The only thing that one could rightly compare it to is like magic in the stories of old. When you trust in Jesus, you are united to him. You become one with him. Paul says in Romans 5, you are buried with him and raised with him to walk in newness of life. Right? You become one, you and God and God in you. And the strength that you fight with is no longer the broken, feeble, fleshly strength that you once fought with. But it's the very strength of Christ. Strength that is able to stand against the, the wiles of sin, the flesh, and the devil. And not only does God give you his strength, but he also gives you his family to love you and to help you and to take up arms with you against the powers of darkness. To be a counterculture of light in a world of darkness. Beloved, this is my prayer for us in this season, that as the world around us continues to descend into chaos, that New Haven Church would be a community of beauty, truth, and goodness that offers refuge and alternatives to travelers wearied by the world. Amen. That we would be a people who turn off the television, who put the smartphones away, who read books, play games, make music, plant gardens, and who would feast with our neighbors that we would be a community that passes the faith on to our children and who bows the knee to no one other than Yahweh. When darkness swallows the land and the sword finally drops, the world will need stable places for refuge. May they find it here. Let's pray.